screen. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, and actually, you know what? I did forget an announcement, and I, I, I apologize. Um, I really, uh, I, I'm, I'm a short attention span guy. I need coffee in the morning. Um, I also don't sleep enough, and, and so coffee is high on my list. If you're a uh, coffee drinker um, and you have a cup in your hand, um, if, if, if uh, when you're done, like after service, if you can make it a point just to throw it away. Um, there's something that was mentioned to me that I think, and actually I think I threw away the cups last week after, after they were collected and there was like 30 of them. And so <laughs> throw your cup away after service, that's all. Because uh, otherwise Jeremy has to do it. Um, and I, I don't want to kick him over and over again for, anyway, uh, let's, or Terry, Terry might have to do it, because Terry did it last week. Let's pray. Uh, <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning, and, and just um, as we get into the word, as we uh, uh, start in on the text, I pray that you would help us to kind of focus on you, help us to look to you, and, and in all things, just help us to, just to hear your word. I pray that I wouldn't get in the way of, of hearing hearing just the proper meaning of the text today and and that I wouldn't um, uh, create uh, like false impressions but folks would just come to know you more and more through through the preaching of the word today in in Jesus name and I am looking did I do the slide I did yeah I did I've lost my background slide um, so my wife is hopefully gonna fix it and I will uh, I will see what, um, um, otherwise you're going to rely on my memory, and that's a bad thing. Um, so out of the gate, I, I want to kind of you know, start off by explaining something. Um, I have a son, right? Some of you guys have seen him, Titus. He's, um, he's short and loud uh, and, and very awesome. And, and yesterday I was building something in the backyard. Uh, I was building a planting box. I was copying a design that Brooke um, originated, and I was building a raised planting bed for, for my wife to garden. And, and as I'm doing this, my son comes along, and he's been playing in the sandbox and doing all kinds of other things. And he saw me pulling tools out of the garage and setting up saw horses and all this other stuff. And he stood there and watched me for a while, and he said, Dad, can I help you? Actually, he didn't say it quite like that. He said it about 45 times. Um, but I, I anyway, the, you guys get the point. So, oh, of course you can help me, Titus. You know what I mean? He said, well, i got to go get my tools. And so we went inside and came out with a screwdriver and his hammer and all those other, you know, he's got some little plastic tools. And, and he played building while I, while I built this, this um, mostly, mostly, you know, symmetrical box <laughs> that plants will go in eventually at some point if it stops snowing for good. Um, it might be July. Um, and, and so um, there, there's this thing that happened. And, and I, I'm opening with this because um, we're, we're diving into a section of text that's a little removed from us culturally, right? Um, some, folks, uh, some folks actually choose not to do the same jobs their parents do, right? My dad was, in, uh, was a colonel in the Air Force, and I am not in the military, right? My kid brother's a bank vice president. You know, he's, he's not a colonel in the Air Force. And, and most, you know, in our culture, like, you kind of have these choices, right? And you go to school and you sort of decide what you're going to do, unless you're a farmer, in which case, like, you, you follow your dad around and you learn to farm and that's what you do, right? Um, and, in fact, I'm going to make a bet here. I'm going to make a guess here. Um, uh, Mr. Durga, 
Who taught you how to drive a combine? Your dad did. John, who taught you how to drive a combine? Oh. Well, not your grandpa, your dad, right? So, Jim, you learned from your dad, and you taught your son. And, like, you know, in a year or so, you all have a son to teach other. Because, like, and and (laughs) she's not pregnant right now. Um, <laughs> um, so the, in, in farming communities, there's a little more of this where like fathers teach their sons to do these basic tasks of farming, right? Um, and, and I'm willing to bet that just about every farmer in the room has had this, right? Dad taught me how to, and, and you know, you get into what your dad did. Um, and in the ancient world, in the first century, you pretty much did what your father did, right? And so Jesus was a carpenter and it's, it's. You know, very much the case that Joseph was a carpenter. And you learned how to be a carpenter by watching and imitating dad, right? And so as we dive into this text, like, um, I want you to kind of keep this at the forefront because this is something that is, that is going to be, um, it's kind of the linchpin of this, I, of this, of this teaching, right? Um, we're in John 5, and we're working our way trying to do the whole gospel of John. Um, and, and John 5 um, begins with the healing of a um, of a man who was was uh, a cripple, like he was unable to walk, um, and he was unable to move and, and whatnot. And so Jesus comes along and he heals this fella, and he ticks off the religious establishment doing it because he did it on a Sabbath, right? Um, and and having done this, um, they they the the leaders of the Jewish faith, the the um, temple authorities, they decide, oh well, we're going to kill Jesus. And and then Jesus turns around and he says, well, wait a minute. God works on the Sabbath, and I'm just doing what my father does. And and so he, like, tosses out this teaching. We talked about this last week. The sermon's online if you want to listen to it. Like, like, um, But he says, you know, I just do what my father does. And then the Jewish leaders get really mad because he's basically made himself equal with God because God is the only one who can work on the Sabbath, right? Like, everybody else absolutely has to take the Sabbath off. You can't do anything that might be constituted as work. Um, there are intricate rules deciding what is and is not work. And, and if you violate that, they could actually execute you for it, although much less so in the first century. That's a whole other conversation. Um, and so Jesus has come out and said, well, God works on the Sabbath. I do. And I can because I'm basically the implication, like the extension of that is I am equal to God. And the Jewish leaders get very angry at this. And they say, well, we're going to kill him. Right? And they start planning because they're like, well, you violate the Sabbath, and he makes himself equal with God, and so he is out of here. We're, we're going to get him. And, and so this is a huge deal um, because no one in the ancient world, right, if you were a Jew, you could not make yourself equal with God for any reason. Um, the Jewish people were revolutionary in the fact that they believed that God was completely other than them. Um, you go to any other ancient faith, and, like, God would sometimes, you know, act like people. In fact, most of the ancient gods were basically, like, really big, powerful people, whereas the god of the Jews was other. Like, he, he could not be around sin, or sin would be destroyed. It would burn away, like, to his holiness. And, and this other god, like, like, he wasn't of the creation. He didn't obey time. He could do whatever he wanted. Like, like God is you know, completely on a different level than people. And for Jesus to say, I'm equal with God, like for the Jewish people, man, that's offensive, right? 
because God is way, way out there and he's so different from us for him to say, oh, I'm like God, mm-mm, not okay. Um, and so as we dive into this, understand um, Jesus is about to make his case for his divinity. Like he's about to toss out a bunch of teaching here and all of this teaching is going to be um, very dense. And so we're dividing it up because like I, I can't do it justice in one sermon unless you guys want to stay here for a few hours. Wow, nothing. <laughs> I saw a thumbs up in the back. Let's go. Um, so we're going to divide this up into chunks because it's a lot to digest. There's a lot of material here. I'm going to do my best to do it without spending a month doing it um, and without spending two hours doing it today. Um, real quick background. Um, this is uh, City View 519. This is the preceding verses. I wanted to just give context. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. By the way, when it says the Jews, it's referring to the temple authorities. Um, the, I read about this this week, actually. It's um, a Greek word that is always used in reference to sort of that elite temple group. Um, and it's generally translated as the Jews. But it means like these temple authorities. Um, Judaioi, I believe is the word um, in the Greek. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them. My father is working until now and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking to kill him, were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal to God. Um, so we're going to dive in, and this is 19. So they're mad at him. They say, we're going to get him. And Jesus takes it to the next level, right? And you got to appreciate that about Jesus. If you came across something that, like, folks were bothered by, he was not shy about pushing his point. Got it? And that is what he is about to do. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son cannot, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Now, in the ancient world, father and son, like this was a basic concept to father and son. Sons did what their fathers did, right? Um, they learned from their fathers. So they would go. And they would learn to be a carpenter, they'd learn to be a fisherman, or they'd learn to drive a combine or whatever by watching their dad. And they would carry on that family business and inherit the tools eventually and everything else. I mean, this is just how the culture worked. And so these folks would hear this, and they would hear an apprenticeship theme, right? Um, they would hear him talking about, well, he learns by watching, he learns by, by imitating, and this actually goes a step further, though, right? And it tells us something about Jesus. Jesus can do nothing of his own accord, meaning that Jesus, the Son of God, like comes into this world, and he does everything he does because it has been commanded to him by the Father, right? Like the Father makes decisions, and the Son is so, like, unified with the Father in will, and in, in this case, in will, we'll learn a little later that it's in substance. But he is so in harmony with God in regards to his will that he ain't going to do anything that the Father doesn't design, right, or that the Father doesn't intend to. Um, I was trying to think of parallels to this, and, and the way I would almost see this is, like, my wife and I sometimes, um, when one of us is in town and the other is at home, we'll say, well, whatever you think is best, you know, go buy this and whatever you think is best, you know, or, or hey, what should we do in this situation? Well, I trust you, do what you think you should do because we've been married forever and and um you know our our tendency is increasingly so to make coinciding decisions do you understand what i'm saying um the will of the son and the will of the father are identical because 
about in the middle there, but only, what do you see, for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Um, there are four of these forces. The first off, the Father does, the Son does, the Spirit does. And then we go into the second one. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, meaning that the Father, like the connection that they have, the Son loves the Father and is obedient and submissive and connected to God the Father, which, by the way, we're gonna, a little later we're going to talk some application. This is application, right? I love Jesus, right? I love Jesus because he was God's son who came and died for me. I love Jesus because he has, like, pulled me out of the dirt I used to live in and made my life worth living, right? And that love I have for him prompts me to stand in the same submissive, obedient, identical will kind of role that Jesus plays in relation to the Father. And so Jesus, as God's representative, gives us a model where we obey and we submit and we live for the Father based on this like same principle, right? But not only does the Son love the Father, the Father loves the Son. Um, and how does he demonstrate it? By, by, by teaching him, by showing him, by including him. Um, and you might say, well, of course, they're like the Trinity. They're part of each other. But these guys didn't know that yet. Um, also, um, it provides the opportunity for the Son to do this thing called exegetis. You guys know what exegesis is? It's a big word. Um, it's a big technical word that you use in relation to preaching. It's what I do, right? When I stand up here and I tell you, this is what this means, this is the culture, this is the grammar, this is everything, and I try to introduce you to the Father and the Son and to everything that is God's deal, like through explanation and demonstration, that's exegetis. The Son does that. He sees what the Father does, and he shows us the Father in how he lives because he's doing everything that the Father does. And so the Father's shown the Son. The Son does what the Father does. And so we might say God is so otherworldly and different and out there, but we can know the Father because the Son is one of us. And he stands amongst us, and we watch him, and we see God. And so, like, we are able to learn and know and be different as a result of this explanation of who the Father is. Um, and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. There's a funny thing here. Let me, before I get to that, um, with Jesus, like this explanation of the Father, this disclosure, God showing us himself, um, you see where Jesus is sort of the ultimate expression. When you think about how, like, set apart God is, I'm already going long, guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to do my best here. Um, but there's a good stuff in this slide. Um, Jesus stands with us in the fact that he is submissive and dependent and leans on the Father, Right? And so amongst us, when I begin to follow God, when I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus, when I'm made brand spanking new, I stand with Jesus in my obedience and awe and love and submission and all of that other stuff. Jesus stands with me and we're in the same place. Conversely, we're going to learn that Jesus does what the Father does. And the implications of that are coming. But um, it means that Jesus stands with God at the same time. He judges right, which is a big, ugly word in our culture, but it's just what it says. Um, he redeems, he orchestrates. Actually, creation happens through him, which we learn in John 1, right? And so, like, he stands with the Father. And so Jesus straddles both sides here and reveals God to us and stands both with the Father and with us. And, like, like this is what is so amazing about Christianity, about our faith, is that we follow a God who stands with us 
in relation to himself. Wow. Like, I sometimes wish, I mean, there are people I deal with that I don't understand. You all understand how this works? There are days, like my my daughter, it's like she's 16 already. She acts like a teenage girl, and she drives me crazy. I don't understand half of what she does, right? I look and think, well, why do you need to do this? Can't you calm down? Like, why do you need to do this? Can't you do it this way? Or, you know, anyway. Um, If only she could step out of herself and explain it. That would be wonderful. Um, I was going to make a wife joke here, but I didn't. See how wonderful a husband I am? Um, (laughs) Anyway, so that you may marvel. Um, At at the end of the sentence, Jesus says, greater works than these he will show him him, uh, so that you may marvel. What does he mean so you may marvel? Uh, We went to the circus a few weeks ago, and they did these tricks. They had all these performers who did tricks. They, you know, juggled things and hung some ropes and did all kinds of crazy junk and they made elephants stand on one foot. I don't think that's true. They brought out a dinosaur, if you ask my daughter. Um, and and they, they had all of these things they did to amaze you and to make you marvel. But when you were marveling, what you were doing is you were looking in for, like, cheap entertainment. And you were like, wow, that's really cool, right? Um, that is a really neat thing to do. Wow, that was really neat to watch. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. When we talk about marveling, what we're seeing is Jesus begins to perform signs. By the way, signs are different than miracles. A miracle is something that happens outside of natural order. A sign, we have signs around town, right? Stop. And in theory, that sign tells you to stop. Most people ignore it when you slow down. Um, But the sign points to another truth, right? The stop sign is there to point you to the reality that if you continue driving, you're going to get hit, right? Or Jeremy over there is going to give you a speeding ticket. Um, He won't even hear me. Um, <laughs> um, but the sign points to another truth. So Jesus performs these signs, not so that we'll marvel, but so that we are, well, so we'll marvel at what God is doing. So we'll marvel at these greater truths that God performs to us. We come to know God through these signs because um, marveling is a part of faith. Um, we are awestruck by the things that God does and that he does for us, by the mountains around us and the stars in the sky. Um, but they're only signs if they point us to God, right? Um, if they're just things there, they're just things there. But like in the end, those who develop faith, those who grow into faith, come to know God because of these signs. Jesus is out there. He's performing miracles. He's doing actually more than just performing miracles. He's teaching in a way nobody has ever taught before. He has authority. He actually, earlier in this story, he walks into a place and he commands a guy to be healed. He says, hey, get up and walk. You're okay now. Right? I do that with my kids all the time. You didn't hurt yourself that bad. Get up and walk it off. doesn't work. Um, but like Jesus is able to do that because like God, he's able to command. And with a word, he's able to change reality, right? Because he's God. That's what he does. He has sort of the keys to that. Um, and so Jesus is able to command things into truth. He has authority. He, um, he, he is a representative of God. He actually gives life. Um, he has all of these things that point you in a marveling, amazing, awe-striking way to truths that God has given us. What is the truth? Well, the truth that we're getting here is that Jesus himself is God's representative, that Jesus is um, standing there on God's behalf and testifying about God. If we see Jesus, we see the Father. If we see what he does and we obey it, we are obeying the Father. The whole call of the Christian life is to do that. Um, we go on to 21, and I'm, I'll 
try to punch it up here. I know. Your screen somebody totally is rolling their eyes at me. Um, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, in the ancient world, this was a statement that was beyond um, offensive, right? Like Jesus has taken it to the next, next, next level. He gives an example. He says, I do what the Father does. The Father commands me. I am submissive to him. And so what do I do? Well, I have the ability to give life. Um, For the ancient Jewish people, uh, God alone, only God could raise the dead. That is from the very beginning of Judaism. That was one of those basic ideas. Only God has command over life and death. Um, Later, a Jewish rabbi, this was before Jewish comes along, there's a rabbi, uh, Yohanan, I guess I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. He comes along and he nails it down. He says, God has three keys that he doesn't share with anybody. He can make it rain, right? So for the farmers in the room, like, if you could borrow that set of keys. Um, he has the keys to the womb, meaning he can create life, right? Babies come along because the Father allows it. Um, and he can resurrect the dead. Every once in a while, you see other folks borrowing those keys, but ultimately that's God's authority. Elijah does some of those things. He makes it rain, right? He raises the dead. But in the end, he does it as God's representative, like a guy showing up to negotiate a treaty, right? Jesus, on the other hand, does it as a son who has mentored and learned how the creation operates and is able to do as he wills, which happens to be as the father wills because a good father like has coinciding will with his son. Um, and so what we're seeing here is Jesus steps up and he says, hey, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. By the way, earlier in the story, he walks into a place, sees a man laying there in an entire crowd of people and says, hey, get up and walk. Because the guy deserved it? No, because the father can do what, or Jesus can choose to do what he wants. Um, well, isn't that in violation of the father? No, they have the same will. Their hearts are in the same place. And he walks in and he's able to command who he chooses to walk. And he does it because Jesus has that sort of positional authority and like given authority by being a part of, like by being God, he has the authority to give life. Now, this giving life is not limited to living and dying, right? If you are spiritually alive, right? If you have the ability to be aware that you rebel against God sometimes, if you have the ability to communicate and commune with God, if you have the ability to overcome sin through the Holy Spirit, you are alive in a completely different way. Meaning your soul, which was dead at birth, we're all born spiritually dead, is brought to life because Jesus has deemed to give it to you. He, like you have life, you have new life through Jesus, and like it's not limited to physical, it is this. He goes on. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. All of these have been paralleled up until this point, right? Father gives life, Son gives life, right? But here we have where the Father doesn't judge. The Father has given judging over to the Son, and it all belongs to him. Um, This is an even bigger statement, right? So he is ramping up the offensiveness, right? Um, which is pretty much because it's true. There's a very popular thing to say, only God can judge me, right? Like it's a popular thing amongst young people and actually people all over the world basically at this point where they say, oh, well, you know, you can't judge, you can't judge, you can't judge. Ultimately, Jesus judges. Um, We like to think of Jesus as being loving and all these other things, and he is. But at the same time, Jesus is sent to judge. He's sent to give life and to judge. 
you know, Jesus seeks to redeem, but he's also given the provision um, the judgment that's been entrusted to him. So Jesus has the direct task of saving us. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, right? Jesus took every wicked, nasty, horrible thing you've ever done and took punishment for all of it. And then he has the authority to judge us based on what we do with that. Meaning you hear Jesus' word, you believe it, you obey it, you follow him, you become his, um, or you don't. And that's basically what Jesus has the authority to judge on. But wait a minute, what about the God, God the Father? I thought he's supposed to be this judge. But there will coincide. And so, like, Abby has developed this habit. Ah, oh, it drives me nuts. But I think it's funny, too. I, I told her, like, this week I told her, you have to go to your room and get dressed. Don't come out of your room until you're dressed. Because it was the hundredth time I told her, right? After about three minutes, she walks out. She's tears streaming down her face. She's in her underwear, <laughs> having not done what I told her to do. She looks at me and she says, I am going to tell mom on you, right? And I said, you go ahead and do that, but don't do it until you've got clothes on. (laughs) And several minutes later, she goes upstairs and I can hear her loudly proclaiming my sins to Jessica. And guess how far she got? Not very far because we have coinciding will on this matter. I have the authority to decide when my children get dressed. Right? It's a pretty low bar. Um, (laughs) But it's an example. (laughs) Um, Because we have coinciding will on these matters. My wife doesn't need to ask my permission to give the kids breakfast. Does she? Not really. Because we have coinciding will, coinciding heart, coinciding authority. This is how it works. Like, we are parents together. We are of one unit. Like, God glued us together despite us. And, and here we are. Um, the father and the son, like as the son judges, because the son can judge, um, he does so in harmony with the father's will. Now watch this. He has basically said, I am the son and I have the authority to judge, meaning I have taken God's keys and I carry them myself. So not only has he made himself equal with God, he's put a big underline under, under it and hit the exclamation point three or four times, right? And some emojis. Um, he is exclaiming, I have the ability to judge, meaning I am on the same level with God. I am God. Now, a representative in the ancient world, a king's representative, could do that. And so right now, he's laid this out. Like, he could still just be this representative. And actually, the Jews expected a Messiah who would be God's representative. And so he hasn't really crossed that line exactly yet until we get to um, actually 24, but we'll, anyway, um, that all may honor the Son just as they have honored the Father, meaning God is going to share his honor with the Father and the Son, meaning you look at me and you look at me like I am the Father. You honor me the way you honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him, meaning if you ignore me, you're ignoring him. Got it? Um, If you, I'm hoping that my wife said that, Honey, if you are disobeying your father, you're disobeying me. He didn't say that. He said, yeah, I know dad's mean. (laughs) Thanks for putting your clothes on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But so Jesus has not only put himself on the same level regarding this judging thing, he steps it up and he says, 
I have the same honor that the Father has. But part of this plays out because God has given the Son this honor. Um, God has given the Son this glory. And so, like, God loves the Son. He gives him authority for the purpose of glorifying him. And the Son, in turn, glorifies the Father. And so as we look at the Son, we look at him and we glorify him because in glorifying Jesus, we glorify the Father, right? Um, and this is a sharing thing. By the way, this is the ultimate in offensiveness because that means that um, if you are a Jewish person and you're looking at this guy and you're like, this is just some jerk off the street, right? Um, you're looking at him and suddenly he says, well, I have the same honor as the Father. All of a sudden, he's not just saying I have his authority like a representative, but he's saying I have his glory like an equal. Um, and that's it. Like these guys, man, they would have killed him right there except they were mostly afraid of him and God didn't let him. Um, and so Jesus claims an authority and he claims a level now. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whenever you see a sentence in the Bible that starts with truly, truly, I say to you, it's solemn and it's serious and it is like sort of the mantelpiece. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and he does not come into judgment, um, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus says, listen, if you hear me, if you believe me, if you take it in, if you make it a part of you, you pass from death to life. You are given life here and now. You are born again. This part of you that was dead is made alive. You are a new creation in Christ. Everything that you set butt in this pit, the whole nine yards. Like um, Jesus announces, I have the ability to give you life, and then you will not come under judgment. So there's this big bow on the end of the argument, right? You have life, and you don't have judgment, because I got both. Um, and so, like, as Jesus teases out his argument, he says, and he's basically, these folks think they're judging him. And in his argument, he finishes up with, listen up, folks. You decide what you're going to do with me. All right. I'm going to judge you. And there's this great irony in how John writes things, right? These people think they're putting Jesus on trial, and they think they're judging him. And Jesus ends his argument, his opening argument with, hey, pay attention. Listen to what I say, because you have to obey it, because I am one with the Father. You listen to me, you're listening to him. You don't believe me, you don't believe him. And you cannot escape this reality. Um, God has revealed himself in the Son, and if we ignore that revealing, if we ignore that truth, we ignore the Father himself. Um, we offend the Father himself. Um, well, but I just didn't believe in Jesus. I believed in God. Not so much because if you don't believe in Jesus, you believe in God. Um, I used to say this to kids at work all the time. If you were to, like, come along and punch my wife, you wouldn't be cool, right? Because my wife is part of me, and she is, like, holy in my world and wonderful and a treasure and everything else. You wrong my wife. You wrong me. You ignore the son. You ignore the father. What do we do with this? What is our application here? Well, I got, like, four things, and they're going to be quick. Whenever you hear a pastor say, I got four things and they're going to be quick, roll your eyes. Um, first off, if you are a married person and you are here today, understand that like Paul later on gives us this behavior of the son, this connection to the father, right? Um, and ultimately marriage was given to us as a way of understanding God on a whole other level, right? We are connected to each other through love, through obedience, and through submission, through everything else, and it is not a one plus the other thing. It is a harmonious connection that is a reflection.
reflection in this world of an eternal reality. If you are a wife or a husband and you're dropping the ball on this one or ignoring it or expect your spouse to stand under your feet, um, if you yell out enough because they'll just do what you want or you'll just do what you want, It also means obedience. It means if you're taught things to do, actually sort of wanted us to do them. Not sort of wanted us to do them. Definitely wanted us to do them. Following Jesus is more than just believing in him. Believing in him creates a new life in you, and it leads to this. It would be like if I went home today and I discovered a hot tub in my backyard, not that that's likely to happen today, but like if I were to discover it there and I were to ignore it, I might as well not have it, right? i got to fill it with water and turn it on and sit in it for a month or two. Um, in order for it to be there. I mean, like, like we, uh, our obedience is part of this new life in him. And if we're going to honor the father, we have to obey the teachings given to us by the son. That's part of what this relationship and new life is about. Um, and finally, we need to recognize that Jesus himself is the very presence of the father. Uh, when we obey and love the, love the son of God, we love the father. And when we follow the son of God, we are following the creator. When we use the name of the Son of God, we're using the name of the Father, um, which is something we should never take lightly. Um, and my fourth thing I want to talk about here is I'm going to call my guys forward. Um, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, at the very end of his ministry, he taught us an important lesson. Um, he told his disciples, he said, take this and eat. He broke his bread. Um, he gave us.